Hey, thanks for listening to the REF Tulsa podcast. Um, this is Caleb. Um, we are beginning a new five-week series, kind of in the middle of this Galatians series, through relationships, something that we cover every three or four years on campus for students since it's such a, um, a, a topic that are, they're so interested in. Um, tonight we began uh, the series with, uh, I would say, the key to any relationship, and that's um, the key to forgiveness, or that, and that is forgiveness and, and the ability to um, not retaliate, um, but to love those even who've hurt you and what that looks like. Our passage for tonight is from Matthew 5. This is in the middle of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, verses 38 through 45. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. And pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. This is the reading of God's word. Also, as you'll notice, um, I screwed up um, the audio, so it's going to be harder to hear. So you may want to turn it up at this point. All right, so as you notice, you swer- I have swerved, and some of you are like, what, the only reason I came is because you said you were talking about marriage. Um, I gotcha. Uh, no, it was somewhat intentionally, or somewhat accidental. Uh, I got asked to preach at BCN on Monday night, um, honest moment, so I decided, well, this material is not bad. Let's see how I can recycle this um, and, and, and preach it here and speak to you guys about it. Um, also, um, another big reason was um, because one of my jobs is to pastor and kind of oversee you guys um, individually, but also as a group. And I know that one of the, the most common things, one of those difficult things that you guys experience um, on this campus and even in this group is being hurt by one another. And so I wanted to talk tonight about um, how to handle and how to have relationships, not with people who love you, but who hurt you. Um, my kids, so one of the interesting things about being a parent with toddlers is you try to squeeze in adult time where you can get it. And I often uh, will go over to friends' house where they also have toddlers. I have a six, four-year-old boy that are crazy um, and a one-year-old girl who's also becoming really crazy. Um, but we'll go over to friends' house and toddlers will play with one another. And it's, it's really like this anxious moment as you're kind of sitting at this table and you're uh, you're trying to have conversation and, and act all normal, but really in the back of your mind, you're pretty anxious just waiting for one of the kids to slap the other kid or like push him over or spit on him or yell at him. Um, and you're just crossing your fingers it's not your kids. Um, unfortunately, it usually is. Um, life's kind of like a, a toddler play date where we're kind of going about our business and you're, you're just inevitably waiting to get slapped uh, figuratively. Um, that's, that's kind of what life's like. Um, you will, there's, one, there's one guarantee I have for you in, in, this, in your four years on campus and your life as a human is that you are going to be hurt by people. Um, that there's going to be people who 
let you down, there's going to be people who reject you. There's going to be people who don't divide you over. There's going to be people who do you wrong. And so how do you have a relationship, or how do you love those who hurt you? That's what I want to talk about um, tonight. Um, and I do invite questions. Um, we'll sing a song after I'm finished, and if anyone sends any questions in, I'll, I'll get to them um, at the end. Um, those are the three points as we look at this text, and really kind of look uh, a few other texts as well. Uh, what not to do, that's the first point. What to do, that's the second point, and how to do it, that's the third point. So what not to do. Um, if you look back at this text, we're really just going to look at those first few verses as this first, this first point, and really take the opposite. So what not to do, we'll take an eye for an eye, take a tooth for a tooth, um, and resist the one who is evil. That's what not to do. Slap the other one as they slap you on the cheek. Uh, as they slap you on the cheek. These are the two things that Jesus is saying what not to do. Take an eye and a tooth back and resist the one who's done you wrong. Um, one of the inevitabilities in, in college, um, even, even in a group like RUF, is, is that you're going to feel excluded. Um, this is the most common way that uh, an eye or a tooth is taken out of you in college. Um, there's a, I've, I've read this essay for some of you, and I'll, I'll post it or send it to you if you're interested in reading the whole thing, but there's a really long essay written by C.S. Lewis. Um, it's called The Inner Ring, and he describes the social dynamic. I think he might be targeting uh, college-age students in, in uh, university relationships, but he describes the social dynamic amongst all groups, really, maybe for all ages, and essentially he says that any, in any sort of group, um, even in a group like this room right now, that in this room there are different rings. There are different inner rings. There's different pockets. And you in this moment feel like you're either in one or you're outside of one. And if you feel like you're in one, my assumption is that even in that ring, there's even an inner, a more inner ring in that inner ring. And he essentially says that all of life is this, this heart condition, this thing that drives us into life, is to get in to the inner ring. That there's this invisible line, some people are in, and I find myself out, and so I'm going to make it my life ambition to get in. And once you get in, and for those of you who are in, you stiff arm, you kick people out, because if they get in, that's going to limit the bandwidth of attention that you get in this ring. And that this dynamic's going on at all times in all groups for the rest of your life. There are rings, and you're either in one. If you can look around the room and be like, yeah, we do that, or we're going to do this, you're in a ring. And there's some people as you look around who aren't in your ring. And so, you know, there, he, he describes how there are written rules, you know, to be in RUF is open. You can, you're in an RUF right now. Like you came to one thing the RUF does, you're in a large group, you maybe hung out beforehand to be in RUF. There's small groups, there's one-on-one -on -one meetings, there's social events, big, large. But to be in RUF, maybe some of you feel like, man, I gotta go to every single posting and every single social event. And if I don't do that, I'm not really in RUF. And so you make it your life goal to try to get in. And most of your time, you actually spend pretty frustrated that you're not in, that people are kicking you out. This is the, this is the experience for a lot of you. 
not very content relationally, looking for ways in. Um, and what happens when you feel rejected, um, and all of you feel rejected at some point, whether you're in or whether you're out, at some point you feel rejected, and what happens when you feel rejected is that an eye's taken out, a tooth's taken out, figuratively speaking, and there, there's a death, or there's a hurt. Um, and that hurt is, is not very good feeling, is it? Like, no one likes feeling hurt. And so what we typically do is we got to get rid of this hurt. I can't handle the hurt, and so i got to get rid of it. And there's really two ways that we wrongly get rid of this hurt. Um, we take back an eye, or we take back a tooth, or we, we, we uh, don't resist the one, or we do resist the one who is evil. And so the first way, we take back an eye, take back a tooth. And this is the main way in which we do this. Um, this is what's called triangulation. If you were to go speak, uh, go to like a sociology class or something. This is person A does something hurtful. They uh, don't invite you over. They go on a weekend trip and you see on Instagram you weren't invited. They've done something hurtful. Man, I thought we were friends. I thought friends hung out. You're doing that. I'm not there. I'm hurt. Instead of going back to person A, we now bring person C into the group. And we gossip and we slander and we quarrel. And now person C has terrible thoughts about person A. This is called triangulation. And what happens with triangulation, I actually meant to expand this, is that now person C also triangulates another person in, and they also have negative thoughts, and that person triangulates another person. And now you understand the, the, the terrible consequences of trying to get rid of that hurt. Um, you know, people have hurt you and so I'm going to hurt them back. I'm going to tell my friends about so-and-so, and I'm going to pit them against me to ensure that I'm seen as the good one. At least I'm not like that person. Um, and, and there's a couple of different consequences of, of triangulating that happens on campuses. One, um, instead of going back to the person who hurt you, You've now just spread how bad they are to someone else, and so now the reputation by person C is really, really crushed. Secondly, um, and I might, you, you'll probably hear this in like marriage counseling, you see this with parents. Um, you don't talk to your spouse, you don't talk to your parents about your spouse, because whenever you, like in the fear of fighting your spouse, because whenever you resolve your spouse, I bet you're not going back to your parents and telling them that. And so your, your parents have a pretty one-sided view of your spouse if you're only bringing them in when you have fights. And the same thing happens with a friend. So if you get in a fight with a friend or a friend does something wrong and you go and you triangulate and you spread this gossip, and then you actually, later on, you make up with your friend, my guess is you aren't triangulating that positive news to them either. And so they have a very one-sided um, opinion of that person. That's the second thing. And the third thing is that this person, person sees probably pass that juicy news along to someone else, and that person's passed along to someone else. And now an entire group of friends thinks a particular way about one person. And the reality is like, man, maybe person A didn't even do anything harmful with any sort of intention. Maybe person A was just having a bad day and gave you a weird look. Or maybe person A has like real anxiety and like doesn't know how to handle you. Right? Like maybe. But instead, we just received it, went ahead, and spread it. Someone's hurt me, I'm going to hurt him back. 
Um, and it's a really big deal. Like the Proverbs don't, don't really let us off the hook with this one. Um, I was actually talking at, at BC and I said it's pretty interesting what, um, what the Bible gives attention to and what we give attention to on college. You know, I've been on college campus now for three and a half years. What the Bible gives attention to in regards to like slander, quarreling, gossiping, unforgiving, heart, forgiving, or forgiveness versus like something like drunkenness. I mean, it's not even close. Like it is, the, the scriptures are littered with commands to do all these things. And like maybe a few references of drunkenness, but like I'm three and a half years in, I'm like, wait, why the heck does this feel like it's like this? It feels like to be a Christian is to be a sober person who goes around slandering. Like, what? This seems really, this is, that doesn't match um, what the scriptures talk about and what it gives its attention to. Proverbs 16 says, A worthless man plots evil and his speech is like a scorching fire. A dishonest man spreads strife and a whisperer separates close friends. A man of violence entices his neighbor and leads him. That's a juicy gossip. Um, entices his neighbor. Who doesn't when you hear that gossip? That sounds awesome. And leads him into a way that's not good. So a gossiper is described as a worthless man, a dishonest man, a violent man. Proverbs 29 says, describes him as a fool. A fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. And look at the destruction that this sort of triangulating does. So you're hurt by someone, they've taken out your eye, they've taken out your tooth. Look at the hurt that it does. Whoever forgives an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. So it, it brings separation. Starting a quarrel is like breaching a dam to drop the matter before a dispute breaks out. It's like opening up the dam, the water just comes, destroys the whole group, destroys the whole city. Or lastly, scoffers set a city aflame, the wise turn away wrath. You go and you triangulate, you bring your friends about the juicy gossip and the way that this person hurt you, and you're setting a group, you're setting a church, you're setting a person aflame. Serious business. The second way not to respond is to resist the one who did you wrong. Um, and maybe this is uh, your cup of tea. I know this is my cup of tea. Um, you start giving the person weird looks. You start ghosting them, not texting them back. You snap back with passive-aggressive comments. You shun them. You don't invite them over. Um, you know, this is what I do in my marriage. Um, a few weeks ago, my, my wife, she um, confessed to me about some things that she'd said. And then she said, and can you please stop holding it over my head? I was like, oh, I guess that is exactly what I think. Um, yeah, I guess I'll stop. Um, and like, I was totally doing that. And the reason that I do that, the reason that I, I, I treat her back that way, the reason I hold it over her head is because when I do that, I have the power. Um, in my rejection of intimacy, in my rejection of, of love for her, I'm actually making her pay. I'm, I'm actually turning back and I'm tearing out her tooth and tearing out her eye. I'm making her suffer through my resistance of her. So Jesus says, don't resist the one who's done you evil. Don't, don't, don't ignore them. 
And these responses are, are not good. They destroy the person. Um, they destroy your own soul when you do that. They destroy groups. They destroy churches. You know, when you, when you membership in a church is no longer really a thing, but for the few and the proud and the strong that still hold to it, um, one of the few membership vows that you make is I, I, I promise I'll make a vow to keep the purity and the peace of this church. Like I'm not going to go about just bickering about one another. I'm not going to turn around. Instead, if someone does me wrong, maybe I'll actually pray for them. Maybe I'll get to know them. So what do you do? You love. And if we look back at this, if we look back at this text, um, You've heard it said, and I say, you've heard it said, and I deny tooth for tooth, but I say to you, um, whoever does you wrong, whoever slaps you on the cheek, turn the other one. If someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let them have your cloak as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them too. Um, I know I've used this, I asked Connor before, because my greatest fear is that I use the same illustrations all the time. Um, because honest moment, that's what the pastor of my church used to do, and it used to drive me insane. Um, and so he said that I don't use this too much. Though if you were at BCM a few nights ago, I don't know if you were, um, you heard me, you heard me tell this. Uh, but there's a movie and a book called Les Mis. Uh, whatever. There's a book, uh, movie called Les Mis. It's about a man named John Valjean who. Um, uh, I'm getting so insecure right now. I'm like, oh man, they've heard it recently. Um, I'm doing that thing that I didn't like my pastor did. Okay, good. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, John Valjean is a criminal. In the day that he was released, he went back to the business in which he was doing and he broke into the home of a bishop. And as he broke into a home, he stole the valuables of the bishop. And on the way out the door, he clocked the bishop in, in the face and he escaped. On the next day, the, the policemen, they found him out, and they said, hey, we've been watching this man since he was released from prison, um, and we found this bag, and it's full of your, your valuables. And the bishop looks at John Valjean and says, you fool, you forgot the candlesticks. And he goes inside his house, and he gets the two candlesticks. He says, these things are worth $2,000 apiece. You left with all my things, and you didn't even take the most expensive thing. And the, the policemen are a little bit stunned, and they're like, wait, so he was telling the truth? He, he didn't break into your home? And, and the bishop says, no, 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 he's telling the truth, he's telling the truth. And they release John Valjean from his handcuffs. And the bishop pulls him aside before he leaves, and he says, John Valjean, my brother, you no longer belong to evil. With, this, with these candlesticks, I have bought your soul. I've ransomed you from fear and hatred. And now I give you back to God. The bishop was a tooth and eye, a cheek was slapped and broken, and he did not return what he, was, what he received, but he responded in love. What a powerful response. So the rest of the, the story is about the, the transformation of John Valjean's life. How cool is it to know? And when someone does you wrong, you have the chance to respond in a way that can change a person's life. Now, I want you to think about something really practical. Um, I want you to think about not being invited over to someone's house. That hurts. That hurts a lot. And the reason, as I was just saying, that we, 
we gossip and act passive-aggressively is because we can't handle the hurt we've got to throw it back on them or, or dump it into somebody else's lap. Um, but, but what I want you to see is that when we do that, it's actually an act of hate. It's actually an act of, hey, I, you hurt me, and I don't like you, and so I want to hurt you back. It's taking that hurt and hurting them back. But to love, it would require something. Love is, is very costly. Um, to love would require that you take the hurt and you absorb it. And you let the hurt hurt. And the only reason that you'd be willing to do such a crazy thing is if you first love that person enough to let their hurt actually hurt. But your love is the thing that has to drive you to not gossip about them. Your love for them is the thing that has to drive you to not act passively aggressively, passive aggressively with them. Your love is the thing that has to drive you to forgive and perhaps for some of you with the help and support of others over time, over years, or maybe never at all, move towards them. But your, your, your love for them is a thing that requires, or your, your forgiveness is a thing that requires you to love them. And this is why I think Jesus narrows in on this last part where he says, you know, you've heard it, you know, you love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Pray for those who do you wrong. And, and he actually goes on to say, you know, if you just love those who love you, well, even the Pharisees do that. What's the big deal? And what he's saying is, um, you know, if you if you love, will will your love for that person who's done you wrong, will it win the day, or will your anger and your resentment and your bitterness and your hatred for that person win the day? You know, imagine, I was thinking about this, um, imagine that you're sitting at a driller's game. I don't know if you guys have been to one. I went to one and my, my kids both, within like 10 minutes, were like, Dad, you're going to this is terrible, boring. Um, and I didn't grow up playing baseball, I agree with them. Uh, but, but we went to a driller's game. Imagine you're at a driller's game and you're sitting in the third baseline and someone whacks a foul ball and it's coming right at the person sitting next to you. Now, if you like that person, um, if it's maybe a girlfriend or a boyfriend or a friend, like you're either going to step in front of hopefully, or at least like put your hand out, like be willing to take the hurt to protect them because you like them. Um, but imagine like it's an enemy sitting there. Um, imagine it's someone that you don't really you care for. Are you going to look look the other way? Um, this is this is this this is the spirit of love that that Jesus is getting at. How? How do you respond to the person sitting next to you? Are you willing to get hurt and take the hurt and feel the hurt for someone who's hurt you? But Jesus says elsewhere, to just to stress the importance of this, as he goes on in the this, in this Sermon on the Mount, he says elsewhere, if you're offering a gift at the altar, and when you're there you remember that your brother has something against you, um, leave your gift, set it aside, and go reconcile to your brother, and then come offer your gift. Hey, before you do this like really good godly thing and bring your gift to the altar, um, first, if you, if you remember in that moment that you guys have some, some stuff to clear up, set aside that, I don't care about it, 
Go reconcile with your brother, and then you can come back and you can make your gift. In other words, don't do anything else. Don't do anything else. Love and forgiveness is so important. So how do we do it? Um, we've got to be empowered by, by the gospel. Um, if you just track with, with what I was saying and where I'm, I'm getting at, I, I hope that this is really making clear to you um, the difficulty and the beauty of the love of Jesus, as Robert was saying earlier, for us. That he did not come and forgive, he did not give himself for us and forgive us and come and clean us to make us lovable. But he, while we were yet enemies of his, um, he, he loved us. And driven by his love, he moved towards those who had done him wrong. Like, that's, that's the beauty, the radical message of, of the gospel. You've got to understand that it's not the other way around. He didn't, he didn't come and, and clean us up and then love us. He loved us and it drove him to forgive. You know, God says, you hurt me, but because I love you, because I want your good, because I'm more interested in your good, I'm going to come for you. I'm going to absorb the hurt and move on in. But I love the story of this is uh, my, my wife is actually. I woke up. It's a great thing to wake up and walk down to um, your wife doing a devotion with the kids, and that's what happened to me. And she was telling the story of, of Abram and Sarah and Hagar. I was like, man, this is like what I'm talking about tonight. Um, Sarah was waiting, longing for a child, and God wouldn't give her a child, so she actually signed off on Abram go sleep with the maidservant Hagar, and let's have a kid that way. Apparently, God's not going to come through. And so they do, and Hagar gets pregnant, and Sarah gets jealous. She kicks Hagar out of the, of the house. She rejects her. I, 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 don't, I don't want anything to do with you. And Hagar finds herself in the wilderness. And it's there where the Lord asks her, where did you come from and where are you going? And Hagar speaks in the wilderness to the Lord. And this passage in Genesis 16 concludes her singing God's praise, saying, You are a God of seeing. Truly here I have met the one who sees me. You know, when you're rejected and hurt and wounded by friends, when you're wounded and hurt by people on campus, when you're kicked out into the desert, and the desert kind of sucks. The only way that you can love your enemy back is if you let the hurt hurt you. And the only way you'll be able to withstand the hurt that hurts you is if there is one who sees and heals. And there is. There's a God who sees you. There's a God who wants to heal you. Your gossip, your slander, your passivity, your anger, it's not going to get you anywhere good. That's you just taking your hurt and dumping it onto others. Let your hurt hurt you. And seek and speak to the God who sees you. And find healing 
in him. Um, I want to end with a time of, of just you know, repentance and faith. Um, and I also want to just walk delicately here with some of you. As I know, there's tremendous hurt. Um, I, want to, I want to put some categories around this where um, I'm not speaking about relationships that are long enduring abusive relationships that you've suffered through. This is not saying, hey, like, turn the other cheek, like, keep letting that happen. It's not what this is saying. Um, I recognize that there's some of you in this room who have um, are really walking through diligently and with a lot of sadness. Parents that have maybe divorced, or parents that have hurt you, parents that have abandoned you, or friends who have really abused you. Um, my encouragement to you, my invitation to you, is to please come and like find me or Bethany and help us hug you, and let us hug you, let us listen to you, and let's walk through some of that with you. But for, for, for some of you, my assumption is that you've been hurt by maybe some people in this room, and that you've gone out of your way to make that person look, good, look bad because you can't handle that hurt. So my invitation to you is there, there's a God who sees you. There's a God who wants to heal you. And so I want to end with just a time of, of personal and quiet confession. If this is you, if you've gone and slandered and gossiped, would you confess your sins to the Lord who hears you and is willing and ready to hear and forgive? And would you maybe consider if there's some of you in here who just need to like talk it out? Would you maybe consider like again, come find me, come find Bethany. We'd love to help that process happen. Um, but would you consider really reconciling with people in this room who have done you wrong? You know, the alternative is just to go the rest of your time here in anger and bitterness and push that hurt right back on them. That's not going to help you. It's not going to solve anything. There's a God who sees you in the wilderness and who's ready to heal you. Let's take a moment of silent confession and then I'll pray um, and the band will come up and we'll sing a final song. Confess your sins to the Lord. Let His kindness lead you to time of repentance.
those who have heard these words and feel the spirit of conviction, those of you who um, feel just a urge, accompanied with a lot of fear, to go make things right, would you give the needed courage and strength to do that? Lord, I pray for our community. I pray for what you're doing here and are you up to thank you for it. I pray that you would protect us from um, the division and the hatred and the gossip that wants to tear us apart. I pray that we would be a community of forgiveness. We would be a community of peace. That we would welcome sinners who have done us wrong. Lord, we love you and we pray all this in your name. Amen. Let's stand and sing a final song. If you have questions, um, please text me.